I think a lot of people might feel like they need to start from scratch. And I want to encourage people to work with what you have to begin with. You actually may already have a capsule wardrobe because you continue to reach for the same items on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. They're just crowded by all of the other things. And so one of the... Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today, we're talking about minimizing that wardrobe, All right. bringing, bringing that clothes budget on down. But first, I want to give a shout out to Jane198727, okay. who left us a five-star review that said, love this podcast. I'm a big fan of Kirsten and Julian, and their podcast doesn't disappoint. This <laughs> order right. I want to do an audit of how often. Let me finish Jane's review because it's well written and special. Jane says, I wholeheartedly recommend it to anyone that wants to improve their finances or their life. Check it out. I don't trust Jane. (laughs) I don't think I've ever met a Jane. (laughs) I'm kidding. I appreciate you, Jane. All right. So the reason I wanted to talk about clothes is because we are about six weeks into the new year by the time this episode comes out. And, you know, you're auditing your resolutions and seeing if the budgets are actually budgeting. And when it comes to discretionary expenses, expenses that you can flex up or down, cars and clothing are at the top of the list. I feel like those are the two pain points for a lot of people. And then the second reason I wanted to talk about this is because, yes, I am hopping on the TikTok trend of de-influencing. Have you heard of this? No. Yeah, it's been around a couple months, but basically it's a... It's a backlash to influencer culture because if you are a woman, every time you log on to social media, okay. you see other women selling you clothes. They're, they're, they basically act like mannequins and they try it on and like invite you to get ready with them. And so you'll see a woman like in her undergarments. <laughs> She's your same body type or size. You know, they kind of brand themselves and the algorithm does what it does. So if you're midsize, plus size, if you're teeny tiny or snack size, like you will see a woman trying on clothes. And then she throws out a link to her bio, her stories or her LTK, okay. which I don't know if you know what an LTK is. I didn't. I don't want to know. It's fine. <laughs> it's, a, it's just another app. It's like a another. flea market for influencer stuff. Okay. Where you can just shop their stuff and then they get a percentage off of everything that you buy. So yeah, that's that's why I wanted to tackle this. Yeah, I um I thank you for giving me a tour of the corner of the internet that I am never on. <laughs> um I'm gonna make sure I don't click on anything to make sure I don't accidentally venture into that world. <laughs> uh, don't send me anything. Don't n- none of it. it. It's an interesting topic and it's one that I've wanted to talk about a while because I know it's something that you uh certainly put at the center of your Debt payoff journey, oh, yeah. and it's something that even now as an entrepreneur that we try to think about and, and figure out ways that we can find that balance. For me, what I'm particularly interested in when it comes to wardrobe is that it plays a very interesting role. So to your point, it's one of those areas where there is a way where you can very quickly and easily get caught up. Mm-hmm. There is that social and cultural implication, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, where it is just generally understood that at certain levels or in order to unlock certain levels of earning potential or when you are given a particular job that holds a particular position that all of a sudden that comes with your own responsibility to look and carry yourself a certain way. So there's almost like this built-in cost to 
getting a promotion, if you will. Yeah. And I remember in the past, we even spoke about that. Like, what is this promotion costing you? Right. And wardrobe was a really important part about that. And so that's, for me, is why I am particularly interested in it. Because I think what we want to help people do is identify some ways where they can find a better and more affordable balance. One that doesn't completely get them out of the game and mean that they are removing themselves out of consideration for that or for those big jobs, but also right sizes the budget a little bit. And I think streamline makes their every day of getting ready to go to work yeah. or whatever it is just a little bit easier. Yeah. Outside of work, were you ever a closed person? Was that ever the instrument that you used to express your identity? No, I've never used clothes to um, express my identity in my professional life. I think outside of my uh, professional life, like in my personal life and creative and those kinds of things, you know, on occasion I would do that. But if there's one thing that I've learned about myself, it's that I, I kind of go in waves. Um, yeah. This is like when I, and I am not a horoscope guy at all, but this is where I think I particularly show up as a Gemini. <laughs> I'm either or. Yes. So if I'm going to get dressed up. I'm getting dressed up and I'm what they call suited and booted. If I'm not that, I am the exact opposite. Like I am completely as comfortable as it comes and I could give two shits about what anybody thinks about yeah. what I have on. Uh, and I've always gone like that. And so when I go through those waves, it's like I spend a boatload of money on what I'm wearing. But I learned over time that I'm going to spend that money on pieces that I know are going to last me a really long time. And when I'm not, then I'm just not. Yeah. And I don't so think I've I'm ever met. Cold. Yeah. I, I, I've seen your like aesthetic change in terms of what you're saying, where you decide it's an athleisure season or you yeah. decide that it's a different type of style season. I don't think I've ever known you during a clothing phase. I've known you through a accessories phase. You used to be a strong hat guy when I met you. You I had all the a, Kangles, all the, <laughs> all the newsboys. I had all, all the caps. I loved them. Um, but yeah, I haven't worn them. Yeah. I think I actually literally gave them all away. I think you or did. Or just threw them away. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And so yeah, I don't, um, you know, when I think about wardrobe today, I'm very much in an athleisure, if you will, creative yeah. kind of uh, feeling. Middle-aged dad. Middle-aged oh, I'm loving it. <laughs> I, I, I really don't care about clothes that much. I actually just learned that there is a term for people going back to the, one of the earlier episodes of Costco, like Costco casual. Oh, oh yeah. I not know a, Costco a whole... had a, You know, that's funny because when we tweeted that we got a membership, finally, yes. somebody was First like, person well, says, oh my gosh, where have you been getting all your clothes? <laughs> and I was like, what? Why would I get my clothes? Again, we were completely new to it. And then we got there and realized the entire like, oh, there's a whole center mall. of the yeah. store was just piles of clothes. And then we started doing some research <laughs> about it. So long story short, there is a reason why we're talking about it. Um, and I think, and we'll get into this probably immediately after this, but it's also a matter of just introducing an idea to people that I don't think a lot of people have heard of. And for those who have heard it, they have probably not seen themselves in yeah. that. And so I want to talk about that a little bit and hopefully educate people, but also give them some license to better feel like themselves, but also not feel like there is this built-in budget buster that will always be so long as they have a job. Yeah. I mean, I think if you think about people's relationships with clothes, it's not without reason. There's a bunch of historical context that shows that clothes were the things that separated the haves from the have-nots. And even yeah. if you look at more modern research, there is a body of work that suggests the way that you look, the way that people perceive you on a professional level is going to impact your leadership skills, your mm -hmm. ability to manage up, your ability to get jobs that are, you know, maybe above what you're qualified for. You know, those yeah. those 
whether ideas or not you're a threat or whether or not there, you're a threat that, yeah right? like and you know that's that takes it into a completely different category but to your point your clothes in many ways does define you and i think that's why this practice i should say i don't want to call it a habit but why it's one that i think is so hard to break yeah when i first started working i my first job was at target and we had a uniform red and khaki red and khaki red and, and i would try to zhuzh up my red and my khakis but i didn't go through this initial ramp up of trying to dress the part to get the part or look the part what i did do to to make up for the fact that I couldn't use my clothing as this outward expression of status was buy this luxury car. So every day I would pull up in the parking lot in this brand new shiny Lexus and get out in my uniform. But that was my way, you know, back then when I was chasing status, when I was chasing other people's perceptions of me, that was the way that I solved for it. Where it's yeah. like, I can't do it with my clothes, but I'll do it with my hair, my shoes, and this car. I don't know that I ever really went through that. So like, even when I think about my own professional progression, I started my career in the kitchen. Mm. And so style was really not much of an issue at yeah, all. Yeah, utility in was fact, more important probably. Correct, it was much more about whether or not this is something that you could wear two days in a row and it would still be durable, smell good, and be presentable. <laughs> now, over time... Um, when the identity of a celebrity chef started to really shine, which is right around when I was still cooking professionally, that's when you did start to see where the style and the presentation and the type of apron that you had on and Egyptian cotton pressed chef coats. And I had all of those things, but it was done for me. It wasn't yeah. something that I made a decision to go out and invest in. I was working at a luxury property and this is something that they just provided for you with the ingrained name and those kinds of things. And I took great pride in that. But I would say that I didn't really start to take my wardrobe seriously until right before we met, which is why you would say you never really saw a different version of me. So right before then is when I said, actually, I believe this is one of the few things that I can do in addition to my skill set, in addition to my personality and likability is position myself to look the part and to be a leader. And I remember being one of the only people that would show up to work with a tie yeah. when everyone else was being ca casual. And I took great pride in it. And you you did. Know, to, to a certain extent, it worked. Yeah. But there was, for me, a, a bit of a shift over time. And a lot of that overlaps with my embracing with financial independence. And yeah. I think also the rise of what we were seeing as this new class of leaders, particularly in technology, that were saying, ah, oh, screw all that old school dressing up, wearing a suit kind of stuff. You can actually still show up in T-shirts and jeans so long as you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that matters. And for me, I think that was what really started to change the way that I carried myself, even though I was a little hesitant. I think I needed to see evidence that this was something that was viable in the Southeast mm -hmm. and not just in California or in certain pockets of New York or certain industries like primarily technology. I needed to see that that's something that I could get away with. Because even then, I still felt like, I mean, if you do this, you do know people are going to view you a little differently. And again, how they view you is not up to you at all. And so, so long as you stay here and you keep getting these kinds of compliments and people see you that way, I think it was something that um, I felt was working for me. And as a result, I was a little hesitant to break from that presentation of myself. Yeah. I think my breaking point came when I started to view my clothes as clutter when mm. when the things that I wear, the things that I need to to move through society started feeling like clutter, I knew I had more than enough. I yeah. had I had plenty. And I didn't know why I kept buying them. I, ultimately, I know now, I'm saying it now that this was a status thing for me, but at the time I really had to unpack 
why do I keep doing this? Even if you zoom out from our personal experience and just think about the industry, every industry has a core customer that they center themselves around. This core customer has a need. If we're talking about big pharma, that core customer has a need for relief and healing. If we're talking about technology, that core customer has a, a need for efficiency. But when we're talking about fashion, that core customer has a need for identity. Sure. And I was, you know, experimenting, trying to figure out who I was, what circles I wanted to fit in, what kind of friendships and relationships I wanted to attract. And I was using clothes as that magnet. Yeah. Now there's an author who wrote a book called The Status Game or Status Games. Book. Yeah. And he talks a lot about identity. He actually calls it one of the most powerful or valuable things that we have in our possession. And he talks about how so many people will spend enormous amounts of money just to gain marginal boosts in identity. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was doing. But when it comes to status games, he makes it very clear that they come from this deep need to feel above average. Yeah. And that's what makes it a zero-sum game, because your need to feel above someone else is a losing proposition. In order for you to feel above somebody else, they got to feel the same way. It's not a positive-sum game like wealth, where I can build wealth and you can build wealth, and your wealth doesn't take away from my wealth. It doesn't... You know, there's not this pie that we're fighting over. But with status, it is very limited. There's a pie and there's a hierarchy. And so this idea that I need to be better than you by dressing better than you is at the core of why people buy things hoping to win the status game. You know what? I would add to that that it's also um, just as influential if you have a manager that sets that tone yes. for your team or your organization. Or just a company. Or a company, right? Yeah, like, if you work at Vogue and try to come in an old Navy, for sure. <laughs> like, it, it's it, going to be very are, difficult. You're basically asking to be let go. Yeah. Right? I remember there was an, a manager that I had who, even when the company started to embrace a little bit more casual uh, jeans Fridays and those kinds of things, and everyone in the building really looked forward to it. His standard was still here. And in fact, he took even greater pride to show up looking well-dressed on those Fridays so that as he navigated certain buildings or certain meetings and those kinds of things, he was always positioning himself in a way. And I understand why he did it, to your point. It was also very status-oriented. But after a while, again, I think particularly after I started to embrace financial independence and every single cost was being measured, I literally remember making the decision after getting a rental property saying, okay, I actually need a new dishwasher in this property because this one leaked and it started to create an issue with the neighbor downstairs. Let's go ahead and knock out this issue. But there's also this new pair of like Spanish loafers at Georgetown <laughs> that I really wanted that were like $400. And I remember making this decision and saying, you're either going to invest in the wardrobe that's going to help you be seen as a director or a VP, but all you're really doing there is like potentially improving the probability that you get picked. Right. right? And you also have no control over the timeline. Whereas on this hand, I've got this new cutting edge dishwasher and I know how people feel about dishwashers, it being a lifesaver, 
whether or not it's quiet, whether or not it's fast, and knowing that that's without question something that can help me get a renter, keep a renter, and add value to the property that I had. And so it was like $300 or $399 over here or $399 that I know for a fact I'm going to get an immediate sense of return. So I think after making that decision, that's when I really decided to divest in a way. And I said, you know what, if this is the path that I'm on, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for me to continue to invest in clothing here. I'm fine with what I have. Let me figure out a way to work with what I have and see how I can finesse that over different seasons because some things didn't particularly work. But we also had the benefit of being in Atlanta where we had a pretty manageable climate, like pretty much haven't experienced a winter outside of like some really tough periods, um, which was really only like a week or two long. But all of that to say, I remember saying, you know what, if I could just get a handful of blazers and like a good selection of different colors of chinos, I could probably ride this out for three to five years and no one would notice. Now I was wrong about that. A lot of people (laughs) did notice because I remember I went from being complimented on how I looked (laughs) to not being complimented on how I looked. And it was a very sharp turn. I don't know if that took me out of the running for any leadership positions, but I know for a fact certain people noticed For me, I just didn't care because I'd already made a decision about where I wanted to be 10 years or five years from that point. And it wasn't in a job. So I didn't really care about how they viewed me because at that point I was already starting to pull back from any interest in trying to get promoted. Yeah. Well, there's a word for your methodology, the way that you were thinking about your your wardrobe, and it's called a capsule wardrobe. I did not know that yeah. until now, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it. When I was downsizing and minimizing my clothes to move into a smaller apartment so that I could pay off all of this debt, at first I was just getting rid of things that didn't fit or that were out of style. There was no real rhyme or reason in terms of what I was getting rid of other than that it was reaching its, you know, it was rags at that point. Like it just, it had reached its limit. And then I found out about capsule wardrobe, which is basically the meal planning equivalent of building a closet. And so what you're trying to do is pull out a couple of core pieces and you set your number, whether it's 24 pieces or 40 pieces, you get to pick how many pieces are in your wardrobe. But the idea is that they all kind of go together and you can create all of these different combinations. It's a really fun math problem for people. Because if you have 40 pieces, that could net you 568 different combinations. And you try to arrange them like with stripes, blazers, or you can go structured, unstructured. You could go denim, chino. However you want to arrange your categories of things is based on what your style is. And so I adopted this capsule wardrobe probably 10 years ago, where I've been able to swap things out based on this framework of what people pieces go well with other pieces. And I think it's important that you didn't know that it was called that because I've noticed that too. Men don't call it a capsule wardrobe, even though they take on the same methodology as a lot of women do. Yeah. I would imagine some men do, but I've never heard a man refer to it as They call it a uniform. They call it a uniform. And even then, it's not exactly what I've seen when it comes to women. It's not so much of a mix and match and it all kind of works. When men are trying to prune down their wardrobe is from what I've seen, it tends to be more so around minimizing decision making. And so you think about obviously the iconic look of 
Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. or Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. where it's like, with the it's, turtleneck. I'm just going to wear turtlenecks. That is my thing. Or I'm just going to wear a gray T-shirt and this is my closet. And it's just a wall of gray shirts. <laughs> or even at, at the at the professional level, like there is a consultant uniform. Correct. Like there's the Patagonia vest and Correct. the chinos. Correct. And, you know, there's there are these uniforms that exist based on whether you are an athlete or a consultant or a doctor or a middle-aged dad or whatever, but it, it is very much a uniform. And I think what you're saying is important because their reasons why, or at least the reasons that they communicate around why they're doing it are related to things that aren't status. It's productivity, it's convenience, it's ease. And it brings up the question, when you have real status and you're not so much worried about perceived status, what other values start to bubble up and how else can you think about your wardrobe? Yeah. Because some of these people, like the ones you named, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, even Barack Obama, like to <laughs> one of the most controversial moments uh, of his presidency was that tan suit. He went off, he went off script and yeah. people noticed when they talk about why they do it. They're coming from a place of like, I don't really care about your perceived status anymore. I know I have power and status. And these are the other things that I communicate through my wardrobe. I like to make fewer decisions. I like to have a quick morning routine. I like to be able to replace things when I need them. Whatever it is, it's a nice shift in the role of, of clothing and what it signals to the world. So the cool thing about today's episode is that we actually have someone who can speak on this from personal experience. I think... Um, his name is Winston. He's someone that I've known for 30 years. In yes. fact, I just saw him uh, for the first time in around 30 years um, because when I left New York, we went to junior high school together. We just reconnected. Uh, and so when we knew that we were going to have this conversation, he's the only person that I've ever known who has had a uniform for probably maybe over a decade. I could be wrong. So what we're going to do now is call him in and get his perspective on why he did it, what led his decision, and why he thinks maybe everyone should kind of at least consider it. Yeah, let's do it. Yo, man, how you doing? I'm good, man. Happy Friday. All, all is well. Finishing off the week strong. No, no complaints. How, how are you both doing? I'm doing good. We're, yeah, we're good. We were just talking about minimalist wardrobes and the steps that we've taken to kind of put a framework behind our style. But we were talking about the difference between what men call it and what women call it. Women call it a capsule wardrobe, and men tend to use the word uniform or style more often. Do you have a word for what you call your your wardrobe or your style? Do you call it a uniform or something else? I actually call it something else. I call it an uh, alphabet. You know, I, okay. I wear a certain I wear a certain alphabet. My team we wear a certain alphabet, and as you can see, the alphabet is all black. The reason why we call it an alphabet is really just looking back at some great thinkers or creatives. A lot of people had a certain aesthetic, certain alphabet, certain code. It went beyond a uniform. Great thinkers. You look at Albert Einstein; he had an alphabet. It wasn't a uniform. He had an alphabet. You look at Steve Jobs; he had an alphabet. Looking at the creative community, you look at um, uh, Janelle Monet when she first came out. She had an alphabet wearing the all black and white. You look at Prince. He had an alphabet. I- even in fashion, you look at Tom Ford. You, you'd be hard-pressed to find Tom Ford wearing anything besides a black suit and a white shirt. Mm-hmm. You look at Carl Lagerfeld, the same thing. So for us, 
for me and my team at my life, like we have an all black is our aesthetic that we that we choose. And how did you come to that decision, right? Because I, I mean, I've known you for over thirty years, and you didn't have an alphabet when we were in junior high school. <laughs> so how did you come to that decision? Was there just like an awakening, or was there like a turning point where something happened? But what led you to making that decision? No, it was a journey, you know, yes, you know, each other for, for quite some time, figuring out what worked, what didn't work, but working in the creative community, a lot of our consulting work when we first started out was in the fashion industry and understanding minimalism and understanding different types of alphabets, different codes, you know, black, black never goes out of style. Black is evergreen. And if you're in New York, like black is kind of part of the aesthetic of being in New York. And for us, it really was having that aesthetic, having that alphabet, it created more bandwidth. Like it's mm-hmm. one less thing, one less thing to actually think about. I know I'm wearing a black pants and a black shirt or black pants and a pair of black shorts. So that's one less decision that I have to make so that I can give myself some bandwidth throughout the day. Like how many times have you having to go to an event or going to a speaker and like, what am I going to wear? And then it takes you how long to figure out what's that outfit going to be like. I know I'm wearing black. And so, (laughs) and so for us, think about minimalism, thinking about sustainability, thinking about understanding aesthetic, like black never goes out of style. Black is evergreen. And so, and black is very powerful as well. So that was a real conscious decision for us to figure what is our aesthetic, even our branding for our logo is is black. So it uh, translates from the digital space to the IRL space as well. What's interesting to me about that is that uh, you're right. Like in it seems to me like these two ideas are coexisting as you were speaking, which is, and, and by the way, I'm no fashion expert at all, but I, I know enough to know that black in some cases is considered timeless and classic, but in other cases is considered gothic and mm. one that I don't know that anyone would consider professional. And you're someone who has navigated both the creative world and now you are a professor at Manhattan College. Did you have any concerns about how you would be perceived as a professional or did you feel like that was something that actually may have helped in making you a bit more distinctive? It wasn't even a thought. I know I'm going to school. I'm going to teach. I'm I'm going to be wearing black. And something I thought about, the great question is, I'm not dressing for faculty. I'm not dressing for my colleagues. I'm addressing for my students and understanding that the students of today, the young people of today, they understand aesthetic, they understand fashion. And so how can I uh, relate to them and resonate so that we can create a real relationship and break down that barrier and walls? I'm not wearing shoes. I don't think I have never worn a tie on campus in my four four years of teaching. Like Everyone knows me as the professor that wears all black, summer black, winter black, all black, spring black. They know what they're going to get from me regardless of the day. And it makes me stand out because everyone knows, oh, the professor that wears all black, they know who everyone is talking about. So much, so much, so, so much, so much so that one of my students, you know, as for fun, uh, who was a freshman and graduated last year, he, he asked me, can I wear a color at least just one day? He's only seen me black, wear black for 
four years. And on our last day of class, he came in wearing all black as well, just for fun. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Even though it's all one color, it's monotone, you don't feel visually constrained in your expression of yourself. You found other ways to still communicate your ideals, your values, the things that you love and appreciate about life and yourself through your clothes, regardless of the the color. Does that come naturally or is there some other tip that you can give people to think about how they can still visually express themselves within the constraints of a, a color or a minimized wardrobe? I think, like uh, Julian said earlier, black is very powerful and there's different hues of black, there's different texture. So even though I might be wearing all black, you'll see the mm. different shades, you see, you'll see the different textures, you see the type of uh, materials that I'm wearing. So it always becomes a conversation piece, especially in the summertime. People are like, aren't you hot wearing black? I'm like, no, this is actually <laughs> linen. <laughs> that, that, well, actually, I'm wearing linen. <laughs> breathable. It's breathable, breathable material. <laughs> breathable material. But like I said, it, what it does is, especially when we're in a collective, it's a conversation starter. It's part of part of the brand. So people want to ask questions like, why are you, why do you wear black? And so it's kind of a get people into the sales funnel to have conversations and explore and just hear different trains of thoughts. Do you think that the adoption of a capsule wardrobe or a uniform is something that people overlooked as a, not just a time-saving measure, but as a cost-saving measure? A hundred percent, I do believe so, because a lot of people are trying to figure out what their style, what their aesthetic is, trying to understand what the establishment deemed as appropriate or not. Children's trying to navigate just the world and what and in the ever-changing fashion cycle. For us, it's one, it's being minimalist. Like I try to think of sustainability. You know, one of my focuses within academia is educating students on sustainability and sustainable practices. So for, for me, it's buying quality that can last 10, 20, 15 years. That is timeless. That is evergreen. So that, again, I can have more time, more bandwidth to solve clients' problems, think of creative solutions for for my students in the classroom as well. I love it, man. Bro, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, where can people find you if they wanted to learn more about you and what you do? Find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram, Winston Peters on LinkedIn. On IG, it's Professor P underscore of MUL. Um, also find me speaking on Wolf University, our educational platform, you know, providing knowledge beyond the classroom for students and creatives. Um, and you also can find me in the streets because I'm outside. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Man, he dropped some gems. He did. I, I love I love the way that he, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article in our newsletter about finding freedom within a framework. Yes. And I talked about the beauty of frameworks and that they're easy and that we're naturally drawn to them, but we tend to get stuck. We tend to take them so literally yes. that we don't find freedom. And what it creates is what we were talking about in that Jamila episode, where it's like everything's fine on the surface. There's nothing wrong per se. You're comfortable, but underneath there's this little 
discomfort. There's this little tension that's yeah. there. And that comes from not being able to express yourself the way that you want to. You're following these rules and these frameworks so rigidly that you don't have room to be yourself. And I like what he said about all of the ways that he found freedom in the expression, despite the constraint of the color black. Even as he was saying it, and I was not just looking at it, but thinking about like how different textures and shades actually make you not even notice these things. He's absolutely right. And even when you ask the question about, wow, I bet that gets hot. I think it also speaks to just like how, I guess, fashion or like illiterate so yeah. many of us are because we just immediately assume that if it's black, then you're going to be hot in right. the summer. Without like, giving well, any it, room for fabric, breathability. It depends breathability. on the fabric. It yeah. depends on the cut. It depends on lots of different yeah. things. So, yeah, he's a great example. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, have him on as a guest uh, interview, if you will. Yeah, I loved it. I He's got me thinking about different hues of black because when I used to mix blacks, I would call it a black on black crime and <laughs> <laughs> try to correct it and get perfect blacks. But now I feel like, let me play with the, the hues a little bit. Absolutely. Look at our, look at the arm here. There's all kinds of matte black, right. there's foam black. There's... And I don't know if this show, this is Navy, but even, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I do want to add a couple more tips before we close out because I think a lot of people might feel like they need to start from scratch. And I want to encourage people to work with what you have to begin with. You actually may already have a capsule wardrobe because you continue to reach for the same items on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. They're just crowded by all of the other things. And so one of the tricks that I used, I found it on Pinterest. I'm not acting like I invented it. But one of the tricks that I used is I would go through my closet and I would turn the hanger backwards if I've worn it recently. Or you can start with all backwards hangers, like where the hook is going the other way. And then when you pull it down, you put it in the right way. So that way you have a visual representation of what you've worn and what you haven't touched. Anything you haven't touched, you can, if you're not ready to donate it or, you know, give it away or sell it, you can just move it to a box or another room. And then eventually you set a timeline where it's like, all right, if I ain't open that box in six to 12 months, maybe, maybe. It's time for something to leave, right? Some people need a process for eliminating their wardrobe. And I feel like that is a very visual one that still leaves you in charge of when things get removed versus, you know, just trying to do it all at once, which when you hear something new, everybody wants to go and jump right in. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest that because <laughs> you'll just end up spending more money rebuying the things that you gave away that you needed. Yeah, I like that tip. I would have never thought about that. Um, I don't really have a tip other than what you just said, which is to work with what you have. And I do think it's likely a little easier for men than it is women. In my experience, uh, men pretty much have a handful of colors that are thrown to them of which always includes blue anyway. Yeah. But there are really only a handful of colors that are kind of given to men if you're buying off the rack anyway. And so you're kind of locked into a capsule of sorts uh, by default. But I do think that to your point, like working with what you have and working with what you like is probably the best way to go. Because if you think about it, it may seem obvious. You already like it. Yeah. You already kind of tend to want to wear yeah. a uniform anyway. You just don't because you believe that you're going to be perceived a little differently. So why not tweak that a little bit and say, all right, well, here's a blue shirt. Here's a blue striped shirt. Here's a thinner blue stripe. Yeah. Here's a you know, different version of that. Accent that with the vest maybe. And before you know it, you've got really great pieces. And to his point about being efficient and creating bandwidth, 
you have fewer decisions to make. And in fact, it may just really be a matter of how warm it is outside. I, I do think there might be an exercise in education in learning the language of your style. So maybe you like things that are more structured. Maybe you like things that are more fitted. Maybe you like things from this era or utility. There is a word, a lot of these clothing categories. And so if you can figure out what the word is, it's very similar to home decor, where it's like, if you know that you like mid-century modern, yeah. it becomes a lot easier to reduce your search to mid-century modern. The same is true for clothing. If you know you like A-line dresses or you like V-cut, I don't know. I don't know how men's clothes work, but if you like if you like to wear your shirts untucked versus tucked, there's just different language that you can use to narrow down your options. And the last thing that I'll say, because I know there are some people listening that find true joy from fashion and from shopping. And it's not this exercise in status. It is truly a creative expression. It is their art. It is the way that they feel and they collect these things and there's a, a process to it. Like this is not to diminish that practice in your life. If you love clothes, then by all means, happily spend money on them as long as you're aware of the trade-offs. But I do want to make sure that we are finding sustainable ways to express ourselves creatively and looking at all of the different ways that you can acquire new pieces from renting them through a clothing renting site like Rent the Runway or Newly or there's a bunch of them now. Thrifting, tailoring, even just getting something retailer, taking a long coat to making it a peak coat, changes that article of clothing so that you can yeah. wear it more often, accessories, and styling. One of my favorite hashtags on Instagram is styled versus unstyled, where it's like a side-by-side -side of people who are in the fashion space. And it's the same pieces of clothing, but in the next one, they've actually styled it. They've half tucked the front, added a scarf, pulled their hair up, maybe put on some lipstick, and it looks completely different. Yeah. And so sometimes just seeing that visual of your clothes styled a different way helps you be more creative in how you get more life out of them. I think the final point for me is, and you mentioned it, You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people overlook is the tailor. You may drop your clothes off at a dry cleaner, but most dry cleaners also have a tailor section yeah. in there that I think goes drastically underutilized. I've always had a great experience going to the tailor. And it could be that you bought something that's off the shelf, but you need just to kind of fine tune the hem a little bit. And those little things can kind of take something from being looking a little kind of scruffy or a little more casual to being a little bit more refined. And all of a sudden it introduces a new life. Yeah, you can take it from day to night. You don't to have to these change. Kinds of things. Exactly. And so little things like that, instead of telling yourself that you need to go shopping and buy a completely different set of pants or different set of shirts or do jackets or any of those things. Sometimes you can tailor your way into a more affordable solution that I think makes a different piece have a different use or makes a piece be multi-use. You also mentioned this and it reminded me that for a really brief period, I had a subscription service mm -hmm. and you would go on and select your I style. Remember that. And they would send you different pieces based on what you purchased and what you liked and you would rate it and say what you liked about it. And then they would just send you different things in the mail. I actually enjoyed that for a good season, but I signed up for it because I just, at that point, did not want to go through the hassle of buying another bulk wardrobe, which is what my typical practice was. I'm just going to go buy a bunch of things and that's going to serve me for the next couple of years. This allowed me to dabble in that world a little bit and get some new pieces and uh, be able to kind of have a little bit more fun embracing newer ways of being styled. So I think that's enough kind of tips and different approaches there. But I think the overarching takeaway is this doesn't have to be this embedded 
cost that you always carry throughout your career. You don't always have to look at your wardrobe as a bit of a tax on your income because you have to make sure that you're constantly reinvesting in the way that you present yourself. I think there are other more affordable, to Winston's point, more sustainable, and dare I say cooler ways that I think are a good balance that allow you to enjoy the best of both worlds. Yes, certainly more creative. For sure. Yes. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular Podcast. If you like what you heard, leave us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform or drop a comment below and we'll keep the conversation going. We will see y'all next week. If you like videos like this and want to see more, make sure you click subscribe and turn on notifications. 